0: podcast.
1: That's the sound of a nuclear bomb, specifically the last time one was ever used in warfare, when the US dropped the bomb on Nagasaki in 1945. But as Russia's war in Ukraine continues... Many are concerned that Russia might become the first country to use a nuclear weapon on another in almost 80 years.
2: President Biden warning the risk of nuclear Armageddon has not been this high since the Cuban Missile Crisis. The US is developing contingency plans for possible Russian escalation in its war in Ukraine, including the potential use of tactical nuclear weapons.
1: The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, hasn't done much to lessen the chatter. If
2: the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will, without question, use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a
0: bluff.
1: But just how likely is it that Putin would actually go nuclear? And what exactly would this look like? I'm Hala Mohyadine, and this is The Take. Today I'm talking to someone who's been covering the tactical aspects of Russia's war in Ukraine since it began earlier this year.
2: My name is Alex Gatopoulos. I'm news editor at Al Jazeera English TV. I have a specialisation in defence and I am Al Jazeera's de facto defence editor.
1: With all the talk about Putin potentially going nuclear, with even US President Joe Biden warning of Armageddon I wanted to get a sense from Alex just how
2: serious Putin's threats have been. He has reminded the world several times that Russia has a nuclear arsenal, that Russia is not bluffing, that he's not bluffing, and that he would be willing to use them to defend Russian soil.
1: Before going further, let's break down the different types of nuclear weapons that exist, because it can get a little confusing sometimes.
2: The battlefield ones are the small ones. They're the tactical ones. They're used against troop concentrations or an airfield or, say, a fleet or a port or something like that, a single specific target.
1: Some also call them sub-strategic nuclear weapons, and they can be small enough to fit into a suitcase, in contrast, of course, to the strategic nukes. They're a bit bigger.
2: The strategic ones are the ones that would be delivered by long-range missile or launched from nuclear submarines, and they are the larger hydrogen bombs.
1: And they're the ones that they can't really test because they would kill everyone even through testing them.
2: It's exactly right.
1: Those aren't the bombs people believe Putin might use, at least not to start with. But even the smaller tactical nuclear weapons, the ones people fear he might use soon, Can still be extremely destructive.
2: Tactical nuclear weapons have a certain yield. We're talking roughly the size of the weapons that destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, perhaps twice as powerful. That sort of levels from a fraction of a kiloton to 50 kilotons. The one that destroyed Hiroshima was roughly 15. So that would be 15,000 tons of TNT.
0: Beneath that sinister pall of smoke, the world's most destructive force has been unleashed. With what results we know only too
2: well. But of course, it's not just the blast that causes the destruction. You're talking about a flash of radiation, which will probably kill anybody exposed to it within the year. You're talking about fallout, which is the irradiated byproducts of the blast. The mushroom cloud, that's normally a ground burst, which is particularly dirty, it gathers up all that soil and organic matter and ...pumps it into the air and it's all massively radioactive. And this falls down over an area, if you think like Chernobyl. One of the atomic reactors at the Chernobyl atomic power plant near the city of Kiev was damaged. Many thousands of people live in the vicinity. Perhaps the worst accident in the short history of the world's nuclear power industry. Now Chernobyl happened in the 1980s and it's still now a no-go zone. Once you go through here, The area is contaminated. Thirty years later, Chernobyl's crippled reactor still has the power to kill. So, that gives you an idea of how long term the effects of radiation are. They're horrendous weapons. That's just the battlefield stuff. Hydrogen weapons use an atomic blast as just the trigger for an immensely more powerful explosion called a fission fusion bomb, and that is like creating a mini-sun, effectively. We're talking millions of degrees centigrade, greater destruction as well. One hydrogen bomb would destroy greater London, or greater New York.
1: And what Alex says is most concerning is that though Putin would never start with a strategic hydrogen bomb, once you use a nuclear bomb of any kind... It could up the ante and
2: quickly spiral out of control. The important thing is to remember, it's not the battlefield nuclear weapons that everybody's worried about. It's the acceleration, it is the escalation to uncontrolled nuclear weapons use, where you're not just destroying a nearby airfield or a nearby troop concentration, you're attacking cities and you're destroying countries. And that is what everybody's worried about. These things are not weapons in themselves. They are a very, very steep, slippery slope towards complete destruction of humanity. And it doesn't take too many of them. Again, by the way, advanced global warming studies have been applied, like computer models, to what would be a minor nuclear conflict. And they use the example of India and Pakistan, where there would be, say, 50 nuclear weapons exchanged or warheads exchanged. That alone would trigger a global nuclear winter where harvests would fail for about a decade, leading to global famine. So the stakes are pretty high. We already have global warming impacting on harvests at the moment. So anything like this adding to it would be utterly catastrophic. And you're talking about most of the people that would die, wouldn't die from radiation, wouldn't die from the the nuclear blast itself, but would die of hunger about six months to a year later.
1: Because the ash from this cloud would block out the sun.
2: Exactly so. So that's what you mean by
1: nuclear winter.
2: Yes, very much so.
1: It's weird you use the term minor nuclear conflict because any nuclear conflict doesn't seem particularly minor when you think of the images, the mushroom clouds of Hiroshima and so on. Can you just unpack for us what Putin using nuclear weapons would mean?
2: I think there are several scenarios that would be likely if he was painted into a corner. The first one is that he attacks a legitimate military target on Ukrainian soil that would, say, be a troop concentration or an armoured formation or something of that level. He wants to keep this casualty level as low as possible because he doesn't want to invite a, a NATO response. Now, the second option is a detonation, which wouldn't be the mushroom cloud over a city or over the countryside even. It would be a detonation, say, over the Black Sea. That would remind everyone that Russia does have these weapons, that it may have been defeated conventionally, but it still has this massive reserve. The third scenario, which struck me as the most likely, would be a test on Russian soil, on an old, say, ex-Soviet nuclear test site like Novaya Zemlya, up in the extreme north of Russia, where they used to test the weapons. And just to remind everyone again that he has these weapons, be advised as to the power of them and the danger of them, and for everybody just to take a deep breath and calm down and allow him to retreat. He can't use these weapons to win. The only way he could use them is to make sure that his forces aren't routed and that Russia proper isn't attacked.
1: So if Putin can't win with nuclear weapons, what are the chances he'll actually use them? More on that after the break. On this week's episode of Essential Middle East, find out what's behind those protests in Iran. Gerhard Mangott is an international relations professor at the University of Innsbruck in Austria. He specialises in the post-Soviet region and nuclear proliferation. And since he's someone who has studied Vladimir Putin closely, I asked Gerhard how likely he thinks the Russian president's threat to use all available means at his disposal might mean the use of nuclear weapons.
0: This is not an explicit nuclear threat, but it's implicit. And everybody, of course, understands what Putin was referring to. And Putin, of course, wanted to make this reference in order to achieve one of the objectives of this, namely to scare the Western publics and to make Western governments change their position on Ukraine. I don't think he will achieve that, but that's one of his intentions. It's also a warning to Kiev that Russia is well-prepared and ready to use tactical nuclear weapons if Russia is suffering a serious defeat on the battlefield. So I don't see any likelihood that nuclear weapons will be used now, not even when the Russian forces have to withdraw from Kherson, as they have indicated they will.
1: The Russian army is preparing to evacuate civilians from the city
0: of Kherson. Russia's faced a series of setbacks in recent weeks. And in a rare admission, its new commander in Ukraine says the situation in Kherson is tense. But if Russia suffers a serious defeat, meaning losing the territory of all the four regions and possibly even facing a threat to the Crimea, then I think it is likely of course, not definite, but it's likely that Putin will resort to tactical nuclear weapons because Putin cannot afford to lose this war. Putin must win this war. If he loses the war, he will lose his job.
1: To Alex, Putin going nuclear would also be an act of desperation to project the idea that Russia is still a global power.
2: He could rely on on a nuclear weapon to remind everyone just how powerful Russia is as a country and that it can suffer a defeat, but don't take that defeat too far. He's already losing. Now, if he loses completely and say Russian forces are routed and they start streaming across the Ukrainian-Russian border, that will be the most dangerous time when there could very well be the possibility of nuclear weapons used by Putin.
1: So this would be his way of reasserting himself. The only option to show that Russia still has might.
2: Exactly so. That's exactly right.
1: And what do you think the response of other nuclear powers would be if Putin did launch a nuclear weapon? I mean, have NATO countries calculated what they would do?
2: I think you either retaliate massively conventionally, uh, massive airstrikes, massive missile strikes possibly armed intervention on the ground. So you have that element which would destroy every single Russian troop concentration or military unit without having to resort to nuclear weapons. Or you go the nuclear option and use battlefield nuclear weapons to achieve the exact same objective, the destruction of the Russian military. And they've outlined this, not using the word nuclear, but they've outlined that the response would be massive and would be immediate. So
1: what do you think the most likely response would be?
2: You know, you always want to think that cooler heads will prevail and that we would take a breath and a moment there. Any nuclear strike by Russia on Ukrainian soil would be responded to by NATO directly in my view. And the response would be the comprehensive destruction of all Russian military units and concentrations in the West. Right. Where that leads to after that is anybody's guess because that's a big jump up the escalatory ladder. But I think that's what they would do. Because in a sense, you have to because otherwise what's stopping um, Russia from using more than one You know, they let off one, nobody did a thing. Oh, great, well, we can let off maybe 10. Maybe we do destroy Kiev. Maybe we do destroy Lviv. But
1: with all the talk of destruction, Gerhardt says the international community has been meeting and planning for a situation like this. NATO has begun its regular nuclear
0: deterrence drills in Western Europe as tensions soar between Russia and the West.
2: NATO defence ministers, meanwhile, are meeting for a second day in Brussels. The focus is on Vladimir Putin's big threats to use nuclear weapons. I think the West
0: and the United States particularly is well prepared for the use of such a tactical nuclear weapon because the West has always seen Russia's military doctrine as a doctrine which allows the use of sub-strategic nuclear weapons in case of a massive conventional attack on the territory of the Russian Federation. And of course, NATO and the United States had the the need to decide which response the West would give in such a circumstance. We also had a, a meeting of the NATO nuclear planning group last week where this was debated between the defence ministers again. So I do think, yes, the West is well prepared.
1: The level of preparation leads Gerhardt to believe that the kind of Armageddon scenario, warned of by US President Joe Biden, is in fact highly unlikely.
0: I think it wasn't helpful to hear from Biden that the threat of nuclear Armageddon is actually on the table because it isn't. And if he talks about something which actually is not likely to happen, very unlikely to happen, he creates even more fear among Western populations. He should not have said this However, the United States government has communicated to the Russian government about serious and even horrific consequences if Russia makes use of tactical nuclear weapons. But the most likely way to respond by the West, by the United States, is not by detonating a nuclear weapon, a tactical one, but to launch a conventional strike against the Russian army positions in Ukraine.
1: For Gerhardt, It ultimately comes down to the debate over whether Putin is a rational actor, something that has, at times, been called into question.
2: Evaluating Vladimir Putin's state of mind, a top priority now. Has Putin gone crazy? Is he losing his grip on his sanity?
1: Gerhard, though, has a more sober take.
0: According to my assessment, an uh, all out global thermonuclear war is very unlikely. Putin is a rational actor, and I think he is reasonable enough not to escalate it. Even if he receives a very powerful response from the United States after having used a nuclear weapon, I consider it very unlikely that he will resort to intercontinental missiles and strategic nuclear warheads with a very high impact. He actually doesn't want to risk the existence of his own society and uh, actually the existence of mankind.
1: Alex has been thinking about how this ends too. Can you see a scenario where he says, well, if I can't win, no one wins, and would then trigger this Armageddon scenario? Is that a possibility?
2: I mean... You never know with the future, but I think it's highly, highly unlikely. It's a strange thing that we always say this about our, our enemy, that uh, they are irrational and they don't value human life like we do. We've always said this about our enemies, whoever whoever they are, apt to be. But everybody gets very, very thoughtful and rational when it comes to the nuclear weapons use because no one's going to win with Armageddon. There'll be no Russia left. There'll be, there'll be nothing. The Russians will cease to exist as a people. Same thing with the United States and all of Europe, by the way. Uh, so I can't see anybody wanting that because that seems to me like defeat.
1: But if you're staring at defeat anyway, I mean, Vladimir Putin is staring at defeat. It's difficult to see how he comes out of this with his presidency intact. And so it's plausible, isn't it, that he says, well, look... The jig's up for me, so I'm going to take everyone else down with me.
2: I think it's highly, highly unlikely, and I think it's probably the least likely of the nuclear weapons use scenarios. He invaded another country. Sure, he's he's lost, but I can't see him bringing the house down upon his head unless Moscow was being attacked or, or something of that nature, which obviously triggers a whole load of other things. Biden himself came out and was very clear that, you know, Putin may have miscalculated, but he is a rational person and surrounded by rational people. Now, that's uh, not the comfort that it perhaps could be, but it's something that he's not a madman. He's not going to burn the world. He's not going to trash it. But he will defend himself and he will defend his political survival and he will defend Russia itself.
1: And that's the take. This episode was produced by Ashish Malhotra with Chloe Kay Lee, Ruby Zaman, Amy Walters, Nagin Oliyai, Alexandra Locke, and me, Hala Mahiyadeen. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tim St. Clair mixed this episode. Aya El Malik and Adam Abugad are the take's engagement producers and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's Head of Audio. We'll be back on Monday.